host, Amanda Dave. I'm podcasting from the home of the College World Series in Warren Buffett, Omaha, Nebraska. This is a pediatrician and training podcast. It is a resource for medical students and residents, and I'm your host. This podcast will cover high-yield topics, as well as interviews with pediatricians and pediatrics of specialists. I'm a first-year pediatrics resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans for my undergraduate degree, and I received my medical degree from Creighton University School of Medicine. I just wanted to put up a brief disclaimer on these podcasts. So this, the information presented in this, blog, in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice. This is general information and is not patient-specific. This information is not guaranteed to be correct, complete, or current. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm using this as an educational tool for myself and for you guys, and I'll be presenting topics after I research them and kind of discussing them from there. All right, so today we're going to talk about Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, or RMSF, if you're fancy like that. Two-thirds of these cases occur in kids less than 15 years of age. The peak is between ages 5 and 9. Boys have a higher incidence of this than girls, and it can occur at any time of the year. 90% of these cases will happen from April to September. Um, just remember, if you go back to step one, our Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is a rickettsial or tick-borne illness. So rickettsia can multiply endothelial cells. It can cause cell wall penetration, distribution of intracellular metabolism, production of toxic metabolites, and the use of metabolites required by the host cell. The main path associated with RMSF is vasculitis. This can cause multisystemic disease, including affecting skeletal muscle, brain, lungs, kidney, testes, adrenal glands, liver, and heart. So it really can hit you hard and hit you quick. So ticks are the vector. The transmission occurs when a tick takes a blood meal or when a braided skin is contaminated by tick feces. The tick attachment, you need about 12 to 24 hours to transfer to disease. And the two main ticks in the United States are Dermatocenter andernosi in the western U.S. and Variabilis in eastern U.S. So just remember, it's like a tick-borne illness, and that will carry the rickettsia, which you need to have the tick attached for 12 to 24 hours to transfer to disease. Now, the squirrels, opossums, rabbits, dogs, and mice acquire these ticks, and they can kind of spread them around. Some risk factors include occupational exposure or recreational exposure. I always like to think about, have you traveled inside or outside the U.S.? Where have you traveled? What have you done? So kids will kind of often report that they were camping or hiking um, or they were picnicking and there was a pet nearby. Some signs and symptoms include fever, headache, muscle pain or myalgia. Uh, a distinctive exanthem, if you guys remember from step one, the hands and feet and then it'll kind of spread from there. The incubation period is between 12, 2 and 12 days. It's usually 5 to 7 days. And remember that a shorter incubation period is associated with more serious disease. The prodromal period will include low-grade fevers, chills, and muscle aches. And younger kiddos, they'll report that their calves hurt. They may also have, uh, might not feel great. They'll feel sort of crummy. They won't want to eat as much. They might have emesis, and they might have photophobia. In that prodromal period, the temperatures can be greater than 104, and they can also have lethargy and mental status changes that can be altered. That rash that I talked about before, it begins peripherally on the wrists, ankles, hands, and feet. It's initially macular, discrete, erythematous, and blanches. Then it'll spread centrally. It can deepen in color to a dusky red. It'll become maculopapular and petechial. This rash does not necessarily develop until day four of illness, and the petechiae can be a later finding. Some kids may have a sudden increase in heart rate or decrease in blood pressure, which is an ev evidence of peripheral circulatory collapse, 
can also precipitate severe bleeding and myocardial failure. Kids can also have decreased urinary output. So you can always ask, like, are they eating and drinking as they usually would? And are they peeing as they usually would? Some neurologic manifestations with Rocky Mountain spotted fever. When I go back to that uh, altered mental status I talked about before, they could be disoriented. They could be confused. They could also have seizures and coma and six nerve palsies. So you have a kid that comes into the emergency department and they've been febrile for a few days. Then mom tells you that they were camping in Colorado. Um, they didn't notice any ticks. And now they've got this weird rash. It's kind of all over the place and they're not really sure where it started. What are some other things you can include on your differential? Uh, rubiola is one, meningococcemia with that dreaded meningococcal meningitis, HSP, Kawasaki's disease, ITP, leukemia, typhus, and mono. All things you should include on your differential. And kind of getting a really good history and taking a good physical exam kind of helps you on that differential. Uh, the other thing I would include is if you have a electronic medical record that allows you to take pictures, it's good to take pictures because then you can kind of see how the rash progresses. In terms of clinical diagnosis, labs you can include are PCR versus immunofluorescence. You can get antibody titers or if you can uh, isolate the organism from a clinical specimen. With respect to management, we don't want to delay because of the lack of rash, lack of exposure to ticks, or the desire to wait lab results. The triad of fever, headache, and myalgia with a combined story of either tick bite or removal within two weeks, you automatically like don't pass go, don't collect $200, you're just gonna start rocking on a spotted fever treatment. Because if you don't, the risk of death is just pretty high. So you wanna make sure that you're treating these kids um, acutely. So if they have a fever, headache, myalgia, and maybe they've had a tick bite or removal in the last two weeks, don't pass go, start doxycycline. Remember that doxycycline is the drug of choice for all ages. It's given to continued for greater than three days after clinical improvement and defervescence, so when that rash improves. That's usually around seven to 10 days. You wanna prescribe IV to all ill patients. So think about it, if the kid is altered, you're not gonna give them PO medications or oral medications because they could aspirate it or they could choke. You don't wanna cause that. You'll transition the kids to PO when they can clinically improve. And remember, tetracycline is no more effective than doxycycline. So Rocky Mountain spotted fever, start doxycycline. If you have a suspicion for it, you'll start. All right, so when are we gonna admit these kids? We usually admit, it's initially good for confirming your diagnosis and observing the effect of therapy. Especially if these kids, or they haven't been eating well, they haven't been drinking well, they might need IV supportive therapy in terms of hydration and nutrition prior to discharge. And you'd also wanna see how they tolerate the doxycycline and just see if they can transition over to PO. Now, in terms of prevention for Rocky Mountain spotted fever, I don't like telling kids they can't go outside, but I do recommend that you have discussion with parents regarding using repellents against ticks and then repeat tick checks. For kids that are raised in the Northeast, uh, Lyme disease is a big thing, but Rocky Mountain spotted fever is big in the Midwest, it's big in the coast. Kind of just want to be careful with all tick-borne illnesses. So just to review, when you have a kid who has fever, headache, muscle ache, and two weeks, and within the last two weeks they've had either a history of tick exposure or tick bite, do not pass go, start doxycycline in case it's Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Rocky Mountain spotted fever can occur at any time of the year. The rickettsial illness can cause a vasculitis, which is the main pathology that can affect multi-systems. Ticks are the vector, and they get carried by all sorts of outdoor animals, including squirrels, possums, rabbits, dogs, and mice. The signs and symptoms, if you have a fever, headache, myalgia, that Rocky Mountain spotted fever rash where it goes on your wrists, hands, and feet and kind of spreads centrally. And then things to consider on your differential. 
meningococcemia, HSP, Kawasaki's, ITP, leukemia, typhus, EBV, and rubeola. Remember, with diagnosis of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, a good history and physical will help you lead you in the direction to your diagnosis. Okay, this has been a discussion of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for podcast materials, please feel free to email at amandamerildave at gmail.com. This has been a pediatrician in training. Thank you.